This episode of the UAE Tech Podcast is sponsored by Kaspersky. Kaspersky is offering our listeners a discount using the promo code ALBAWEBER that can be used on any of Kaspersky's consumer products on kas.pr forward slash ALBAWEBER. One more time, that's kas.pr forward slash ALBAWEBER. This episode was recorded with the generous support of the podcast studio at the Rove Hotel in downtown Dubai. From our offices in Media City, Dubai, this is the UAE Tech Podcast, a product of Alba Weber Group. Podcast sponsors receive EDM promotion, distribution across all major podcast networks, and publication on Alba Weber Business. Gold and Silver sponsors receive a six-month Pro Plus account on Signal Presswire. Go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash sponsor UAE Tech Podcast for more information. Red team initially it was um, it, it is a terminology in fact used in the army okay and uh, in the military at large and it's used to if if we wanna talk at the high level stress test a certain organization or uh, a government institution stress test it in the sense what a threat actor could do if he can get access um, and therefore we have to know what are the threat actors that are likely to go after a certain institution and then use the techniques, the same techniques that they usually use, that threat actor, and try to um, play those out, execute those tactics and see how the organization respond to this. Much of the discussion on cybersecurity concerns, well, cyber, computers surveilling computers, algorithms detecting algorithms, or AI just scanning massive amounts of data. What is often lost is a focus on human beings. Human beings, after all, do work in cybersecurity. And it's a field that itself is rapidly evolving into an established profession in which a combination of technical and analytical skills are increasingly required. A lot of the discussion on the fourth industrial revolution around the world covers technology replacing human beings. And while that's true across many industries, it's not always the entire story. The field of cybersecurity is a great window into an emerging industry that is rapidly professionalizing on a search for new talent. It's here that human intelligence, human response teams, and hybrid skill sets are very much in demand. So today we're talking with Maha Yamut, Senior Security Researcher of Global Research and Analysis at Kaspersky on humans in cybersecurity. Today we're talking to Maha Yamut from Kaspersky Security. Maha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. So you are a Senior Security Researcher on the Global Research and Analysis team. What does that involve? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm part of a global team who um, focuses on threat analysis and threat intelligence and reverse engineering malware, meaning uh, we uncover and discover advanced persistent threat actors, cyber criminals, and how they operate globally 
I'm part of the team who focuses on the region, uh, meaning the Middle East, Turkey, and Africa. Obviously, the UAE is part of this region. Okay. And, you know, in terms of the nuts and bolts of the team, day-to-day tasks, um, what does a security researcher at Kaspersky or other cybersecurity firms, what are the kind of things they're looking at? Mm-hmm. So, um, in the general sense, we, we, we start by understanding what's technology look like uh, in the region of interest to us, at least. So, um, obviously, we are part of a global team, and each team has its own focus. Uh, some some of the team members even focus on more specific issues like industrial control systems, IoT, and so on. Uh, but in the general sense, we focus on advanced persistent threat research. Uh, we cover advanced threat actors and, and cyber criminals as well. So we start by understanding the technology, who's operating where, um, what are the kind of issues, um, technology-related issues, a specific country, a specific industry is uh, interested in, um, what is the trend um, in a specific time, in a specific country, and so on. Uh, and also, we try to predict, kind of, the future. Uh, and uh, what are the threat actors likely to go after in, in the coming uh, days, weeks, or maybe years? Uh, and that's all based on our understanding of the threat landscape, of the uh, evolving technologies. Um, and even we, we try to, to play with technology, right? So we have to understand how specific malware works, how specific technology works, how do they operate all together, how do they interconnect all together, and how, how companies and businesses and governments use that technology so we can understand how a specific threat actor would affect them in a way or another. Mm. Okay, interesting. So one of the things that we discussed on a previous episode um, with your colleague Imad Hafar was that the level of data complexity of some of these issues was evolving and scaling rapidly to mm-hmm. a point where human interdiction was really um, uh, uh, reaching a point of impossibility. It's just so much data and, and so much to look at that in a way algorithms and machines are your first um, filter, if you will. But there's also this interesting discussion to be had about the fact that there are still human beings providing analysis doing research, passing a lot of this information and providing um, best practice in the industry and to governments and to the private sector. So, I mean, that is an interesting story there in itself because we always, one of the, you know, themes of the digital economy is that human beings are being replaced, but really your role kind of suggests that it's a bit more hybrid, a bit more complicated than that. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, technology was brought in to support humankind. It, it's a it's a kind of extended arm um, to support us in analyzing things and understanding things and so on. But in the terms of cybersecurity and uh, machine learning and uh, and AI and, and those kind of technologies, they are really coming in to automate most of the things. Obviously, you just mentioned. Uh, Technology is evolving, rapidly scaling, and so on. So we need some technology even uh, to support us in analyzing all these evolving threats, all these um, um, technology issues, and so on, uh, at a larger scale, at a faster pace as well. 
And um, obviously, the technology and, and these kind of technologies specifically are to support us, not to replace us. Um, at the end of the day, technology or these kind of technologies like the machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence and those things do not have context, at least um, in the general sense um, as far as now. And because they don't have context, they may have false actions. And therefore, the human aspect of, of um, the intervention is us as analysts intervene at some point, uh, making sure the um, the system is working as it's supposed to be. It's not flagging false um, alerts and so on. So if, if we want to summarize it at large, uh, 90 to 95% it's all machine stuff that support us in anal analysis and so on. And the rest will be human uh, humans, a human analyst, um, injecting their thoughts, injecting their analysis, injecting their uh, validation, triaging, and so on, into that whole system. Mm. And what's interesting is that that is a story that perhaps isn't always told. So when we discuss cybersecurity, we're trying to learn what the digital landscape looks like. We're mm -hmm. trying to learn what the role of machine intelligence and, and AI and these kind of systems are, but that 5% of uh, human um, input is actually quite interesting. So th in terms of that triage, how does that work? When, when you know, human, a human being goes in and has all these vast da data sets, what is the system whereby they can, as you mentioned, get context and then somehow filter the massive amounts of information and then somehow provide recommendations. Mm -hmm. How does a cybersecurity firm go about creating that kind of role? When a, when a human researcher goes into work, where do they begin? That's an interesting question. And we got a uh, lot of times we got asked that question. Like, how do you figure out things? How do you start researching in the first place? Well, it all starts by people's interest, right? We are um, um, client support in, in that uh, aspect. So what we try to do is understand the clients, understand the um, uh, the economies, the governments, the um, our, our large industries and so on, and try to understand what do they have in, in common sometimes, what do they have as crown, crown jewels and so on. And then we understand how um, a threat actor would operate to get those, to get into those crown jewels. And then we start like uh, anal analyzing things. Uh, sometimes it gets even more creative uh, with some, some threat actors. And then we start analyzing through our data set. Now our data set is obviously huge. Um, therefore we, we leveraged big data analytics and then we try to filter out the things that we don't need. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, from this entire uh, data pool or data lake, they call it sometimes, um, we end up having what we need to focus on for research, for actual analysis. So it's about to understand what can go wrong, how it can go wrong, uh, some analytical uh, techniques uh, that are out there, we use them, and then we filter out everything that is not needed so we can focus on what's important, on the meat of the data. Mm. Okay, so that makes sense. So in terms of training qualifications, um, this was a discussion we, I know that's being held in the UAE 
UAE and, and overseas as well. What kind of qualifications or training does someone get to be able to start this role? Mm-hmm. Um, are there globally recognized certification requirements? Um, to what extent are strategic and analytical skills important? Because, you know, we always talk about coding skills or technical skills, mm-hmm. but the kind of um, more um, classical skills of human analysis um, looks like they still play a role. So what are the qualifications and, and the aptitudes for someone who's interested in this position? Right. That's that's really an important question, especially for for newcomers into this field. Uh, we, we get to see sometimes um, people want to be a researcher out of university just immediately. And that becomes a bit of a challenge because they don't have an understanding of how technology operates in the first place. Um, they don't have experience and in fact, practical experience in technology. Because if, if you look at it from a different angle, what is a researcher? He, he doesn't have to uh, abide to certain rules um, in the general sense, like how they work. They research random stuff. They learn a lot of stuff. They read different things, uh, not necessarily in the technology, because some, some aspects in human life affects technology. So a researcher would, would really, especially in, in, in technology research and cybersecurity research, they have to know, as you just mentioned, coding. I'm not saying like deep level coding, extreme coding, no. At least they can understand what they read. Mm-hmm. Um, some aspects of IT in general, at the end of the day, a researcher would troubleshoot most of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the, the, the focus of the research that you want to touch on uh, is what you have to learn. So for example, if I want to understand, uh, if I want to do red teaming, penetration testing, uh, and and some of the defensive uh, cybersecurity uh, tasks, I have to know what is IT, how do IT work, uh, so I can understand how to protect it. If a researcher uh, does not understand how technology works, he cannot protect it, he cannot analyze it, he cannot analyze threats that affects it. So it's really important to gradually go on, gradually learn the skills, such as coding, networking systems, and then get into how offense work, how defense work, and then you can probably start researching threats that affect certain industries, certain technologies, and so on. So it's a a learning curve, definitely. It's a career path. You cannot be immediately a researcher, generally speaking, um, out of university, let's say. Uh, I mean, sometimes we do hear um, some people or some organizations want to do the fast track, but unfortunately in this field, there's no fast track per se. Mm. It sounds like it's a very new combination of skills. Mm -hmm. And certainly when I was going into university, you know, having that that, um, compatibility between kind of analytical skills and the technical skills mm-hmm. would have been very difficult to kind of cultivate those skills in a, those skills in a formal setting. Um, so it's really fascinating that insight you've given and it begs all sorts of other questions about, you know, how we train individuals, the education process, merging technical and more classical skills. Super interesting, but you also use some technical terms. So red teams, which sounds very exciting. What is that? <laughs> right. So uh, red team initially it was um, it, it is a terminology in fact used in the army. Okay. 
and uh, in the military at large. And it's used to, if, if we want to talk at a high level, stress test a certain organization or uh, a government institution. Stress test it in the sense what a threat actor could do if he can get access. Um, and therefore, we have to know what are the threat actors that are likely to go after a certain institution and then use the techniques, the same techniques that they usually use, that threat actor, and try to um, play those out, execute those tactics, and see how the organization respond to this. How can they detect it? How can they monitor this process? And then, uh, so uh, the whole concept, so the offense side of things is red teaming. Uh, blue teaming is the defensive side. And both combined is purple teaming. That's what the terminology you know it is. is. Um, so red teaming is about offense and testing the organization versus a threat actor that is likely to go after it. Wow, okay. Yeah. And so, again, I, I suppose that's only something you can train for, if that's the right word, when you're in the arena, when you're in the company and you're seeing you know, the different threat actors and mm -hmm. the different forms of defense and offense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... Uh, but again, at the end of the day, you cannot do a red teaming if you do not have a threat actor profile. And how you get that threat actor profile is by getting into threat intelligence services. And um, those threat intelligence services will give you um, the threat actors as a profile, as a personnel, and what are the tactics and techniques used by those threat actors. And then you'll just pick the one that is likely to go after you and then play them out. Okay, so that makes sense. I think one of the fascinating things um, and at times frustrating things about this conversation is that there's such a popular culture around hacking and, um, you know, one of my favorite channels here in Dubai is NBC2 because mm -hmm. it has all the movies on. And uh, they had Die Hard 4.0 on um, a couple of days ago, just, just before we had this discussion today. And I don't know if you've seen it, but the whole movie is about, you know, something called a fire sale where hackers and cyber terrorists um, attack the critical infrastructure of mm -hmm. the United States, threatening, you know, the financial system and the, 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 the energy systems and all of this. And, you know, a hacker saves the day along with Bruce Willis and some one-liners. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's great stuff, but it also does distract in a way from understanding the on-the-ground skills, the, the slightly less glamorous side of it, um, where you are employing these systems, be it red teaming or, you know, um, training cybersecurity analysts as to how to react under pressure. So I wonder if we could talk a bit more about that, about the detail. So once, for example, a threat is detected, how does an incident response work generally? What are the kind of different paths mm -hmm. A cybersecurity professional might look at. Sure, I mean, um, so in, in a company, in a target company, who get affected by a threat actor, or by let's say, they they flagged an incident, right? They, in general sense, in concepts, if they follow the international uh, regulations, international standards, and so on, they should engage in incident response. And the incident response exercise is basically responding to an incident. Um, and they do it in certain phases, certain steps. Uh, they may differ between a company and another. It depends on how mature the environment is and so on. 
But effectively, they want to, first of all, um, the first step is to identify what is the real incident. Because, you know, uh, non-techie people, and I don't blame them, they, they just say stuff, right? So the role of an incident responder is to get the facts read, uh, right, right? So when, when the incident responder gets the facts right through the identification phase, they will start to analyze at a high level what went wrong, what was the trigger, uh, what is the extent uh, of this incident. So that's the incident intake. And after the incident intake, they try to contain the situation. Now, why do you need to contain the situation? Because in an ongoing incident, the response, the incident is active sometimes. And therefore, you need to assess the scope of the incident at high level and then get into the containment phase. Once you rightfully scope the incident, you can... um, contain it uh, as, mu- as much as possible. Because sometimes we do see s- certain cases or certain situations where the scoping is not as it should be. And then you discover after they contain it and finalize all the steps in the response process, they will get infected again. And that's because they didn't do the scoping right. Mm. So once you finalize the scoping and make it right, you do have a better chance as containment and then you start analyzing what happened exactly, how did the incident um, affected the business, and uh, what is the uh, tactics and techniques used through the, during this incident, what is the extent, is there a data leakage, and so on. And then you move on uh, with the steps, and then remove all the malicious uh, files to start getting back into business. And after you get back into business, you, know, you have this, this phase where you monitor for the same indicators that you have seen in the incident response uh, or in the incident analysis. Because it's important to understand and to validate what you did in the first place. So after you contain, you analyze, you eradicate the malware or the intrusion in, uh, indicators, you have to monitor for some time, and then you can get back fully to normal. And then the last step in the incident response process uh, is um, the lessons learned, which is the reporting and understand where did the incident response fail, what can we do better uh, for next time, uh, can we uh, predict the next incident, can, um, can we scale certain things, can we automate certain things so we can get better at the next time. So that's the incident pr- response process at large. Interesting. So... I mean, it really is a hybrid skill set. But on top of that, there's one other area that we haven't discussed, which, of course, is the industry focus. Mm-hmm. Because surely, presumably, some of these things, some of the, the methodologies um, and the cybersecurity training will depend on what industry you're in. Mm-hmm. So how, do, again, does that work? Because, again, it's a global security team. But surely, um, you know, the threat actors and the forms of defense that are employed, let's say, in you know a large online digital community or a large infrastructure project or a mass event are very, very different. So within your security teams, do you also have kind of industry-focused practitioners? Of course. Um, and that um, becomes uh, an important aspect for the company at large, where do they want to focus, but also what the client expects. You cannot focus on an industry that maybe uh, they don't have the budget 
or they don't really care about cybersecurity at large, or it doesn't affect them. So uh, if it's a space industry, let's say, if it's a space industry, maybe cybersecurity is not the main topic in there. So not only us as Kaspersky, but probably every vendor wouldn't care much until it becomes the mainstream, until it becomes technology evolve and scale in that space, then it becomes an interest. Now, at the same time, what we focus on mostly is the government sector um, uh, and what is associated with it, uh, technology, uh, the finance sector, obviously, healthcare. Uh, the main industries that we focus on are, are there, and there are dedicated team members for each of these um, industries. Uh, obviously, threat actors differ, and the techniques even used are, are different uh, in most of the cases. Um, so that becomes an important aspect for the threat analyst or for the researcher to focus on and hone in his skills in, in that area, in that direction. And one of the discussions about this podcast as well is the speed at which the economy is changing. Mm-hmm. So we reference the fourth industrial revolution a lot. And, you know, the idea that new industries are, are rising quickly and elements of our lifestyle are changing too, from how we order food to how we um, travel around a city. But as the economy changes, so too does the landscape of, of the cybersecurity space. Mm-hmm. How easy is it once you train your teams to adapt at the speed of the economy, and particularly the speed of the digital economy? Sure. I mean, I mean it's, it's not that easy, as people may think. People usually see the results of research. Um, they don't see the efforts behind it, uh, the funding behind it, uh, and, and the amount of people working on this uh, new trending thing. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's a matter of time, not a, a matter of resources, most of the time at least. Uh, so it takes time. Things takes time to, to learn the new technologies, to practice with it. You have to buy the technology and then play with it and then see how uh, it operates. Once you understand how it operates, you try to understand what are the at- what is the attack surface, what kind of threat it can um, uh, they can apply on, and so on. So it's really a matter of time, a lot of work uh, in the back uh, in the back end, uh, a lot of practice, a lot of testing uh, as well. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. So, on, in terms of jargon, because we were looking, at, as you said, it's not easy. And we were looking at some of the language and semantics of how this works. And one is knowledge support and cyber threat research. What do both of these terms mean? So cyber threat research is understanding who is a threat actor, how do they operate, and which kind of industries or targets are they mostly interested in. So, uh, because, you know, a threat, even uh, most of the time, uh, people think about it as the malware. Mm-hmm. But if we want to back off a bit, the threat is usually human. So they usually there usually is um, a human behind the malware operating. And a threat is adaptive, right? So a threat, uh, how do you identify threat? A threat is uh, um, someone or something who has the intent, uh, capability, and opportunity to affect harm or to apply harm to a certain target or a certain person. And that threat change. So you have to understand what changed it and research uh, the, uh, 
the factors that affect it as well. So that's cyber threat research in general. Um, the next term was uh, knowledge support. Knowledge support. So knowledge support is uh, probably trying to understand what is important to us and how we can enable it, right? And enabling it, maybe it comes as secondments to someone else, but we have to understand at large what do we need and how we can fulfill those needs and, uh, and try to, to make it work either by theory, by practice, or secondment. Okay, thank you for that summary. It makes sense. So moving into the UAE a little bit, um, there has been a bit of a discussion on whether or not cybersecurity qualifications in the UAE should be harmonized or accredited. And there was a discussion on something called a Dubai Cyber Index. Are you, are you aware of this and where, why is there this pressure for some kind of formal accreditation in the industry with regard to, you know, human talent? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, probably in the industry there are some um, fakes. Uh, obviously, companies globally have part of it authentic. Some of them are fakes and they operate everywhere, right? So, uh, in the governments usually, what do they do is they want to streamline things, to make things uh, operate the way they should, uh, or the way they see it at least. So what they what do they do is provide high-level standards, sometimes regulations to certain industries and so on. And accreditation is part of that um, process of understanding who is uh, doing what is he who's supposed to be um, does he uh, know what he's claiming uh, to know, uh, and so on and so on. So accreditation is really coming as um, acknowledging someone mm-hmm. or uh, a company that they can operate in that space in the general sense. And it's important because without it, you open the doors for anyone to get into things. Uh, you don't know if they are authentic, if there's uh, other backgrounds uh, for his work and so on. So it's really about securing who can work. And uh, the cyber index also is one of the ways you can measure uh, cybersecurity effectiveness in certain countries and certain companies and certain industries. And it's important because it elevates the security level in each of these companies and industries. Mm. And it's also a really interesting sign, again, of how there are new industries rising and regulation is important. You know, when we go to see a doctor, it's understood that they have to be accredited. So for those wondering why is the UAE Tech Podcast in this episode really talking about the kind of more human role, which isn't something we always do, it's because it shines a light on the wider role of technology within the economy, within industry. And this idea of accrediting individuals in in cybersecurity elevating it to a level of importance alongside other industries like law or medicine mm-hmm. um, or, or elements of engineering, you know, that are critical, is super interesting because it suggests, again, that, you know, the digital economy, that what happened in cyberspace is becoming critically important and that the, the, the people that play a role within that industry are also beginning to become much more recognised. Um and that also feeds into all sorts of other things which we discussed today about kind of training and how students might access this industry and how someone might 
develop the skill sets needed mm-hmm. to understand this kind of a role. So sometimes these questions do have actually a big bearing on the wider technology market. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, t- to finish today, a good question might be, what is your advice for young people in the UAE or the region who are interested in this field but really have no understanding of where to start of how to enter it, um, of what the next step should be? So it, that's a very important question. At the end of the day, it's about a personal interest. And I, I can say comfortably that uh, the future is technology. And technology is touching on each part of our life. So it's the right time. Uh, certain governments, certain um, countries in the region, especially the UAE, is working hardly on increasing the human uh, uh, support. Um, they are trying hard to make uh, more analysts, more cyber, more technical uh, people, and that's really important. Um, there are some uh, official channels you can follow. Some, some of them are in the universities, but obviously the internet is a huge. You can just research how you can be a researcher, how you can be um, a hacker, how you can be a cyber defender and so on. And then from there, the steps will just troll and uncover. And it's really important to be part of a community. There are some communities in in the UAE and regional and global um, who are uh, really passionate about um, cybersecurity. So get into those groups and try to learn more from them. And then you will be guided. Well, there you go. Maha Yamut, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. For more information on cybersecurity solutions in the UAE, be sure to check out Kaspersky's very own automated awareness platform at asap.kaspersky.com. That's asap.kaspersky.com. That offers training created by leading cybersecurity experts to help protect small enterprises who cannot withstand the blow of a cyber attack. Also remember that Kaspersky is offering listeners a discount using the promo code ALBAWEBER, which can be used on any of Kaspersky's consumer products on kas.pr forward slash ALBAWEBER. One more time, that's kas.pr forward slash ALBAWEBER. You can also follow Kaspersky on social media at Kaspersky.